week where one of them had just moved from Texas. So that one is a Texan, and the other person had, has been living in Minnesota for some time. And the, and the Texan asked the Minnesotan, so once we get past February, it gets better, right? And the Minnesotan said, no, we still have March. I like this quote from Garrison Keeler. Garrison Keeler once wrote, God designed the month of March in Minnesota to show people who don't drink what a hangover feels like. <laughs> to live here is to experience when everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Another example of this is not only in weather, but also in sports. Manti Teo, if you've been following that story, the linebacker from Notre Dame, the story gets worse and worse week after week. It's just not, not the fact that his, his girlfriend was a hoax or her, his girlfriend's death was a hoax, but it was actually a guy impersonating his girlfriend. It's like everything that could possibly go wrong for him has. But each of us has experienced a situation, right? We, we all have experienced an event in our lives where seemingly everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And we've been in a series of teachings here at Maple Grove Covenant Church called The Real Jesus, where um, we're looking at the real Jesus, and all the major world religions refer to Jesus Christ in some way or manner. In Hinduism, he's referred to as an avatar. And in Islam, he's an, a notable moral teacher. In Buddhism, he's a great moral guy. But it's in Christianity, it's in Christianity that Jesus Christ is at the center, at the very core, the real Jesus. And as we'll discover this morning, the real Jesus was a person who offered the only hope for a couple of people where everything that could go wrong, goes wrong. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the slides. And there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. Or perhaps you want to pull up your Bible on your iPad or your iPhone. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a look at, at a couple of stories that are connected. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, is that we read about a story of, about a guy named uh, Jairus. And he has a daughter who is, who is sick. And that's one story. And the other story is a story of a, of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And that's going to kind of be our, our text this morning. Matthew chapter 5, let's go to verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little, little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed. So Jesus went with him. And then skipping down to verse 38. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now one of the things I just want to stop and observe in this, this story is that Jairus has a name. He has a name. He holds an important position. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And back in those days, that was like the worship leader. And he's a respected member of the community. And he has enough pull. He has enough prestige to ask Jesus to come to his house, face to face, he, he asked him, to see his daughter who was sick and dying. And what may have started with just an illness with his daughter has gotten worse to the point where she actually dies. There's this commotion in verse 38, this wailing because she had died. I received an email from a friend early Thursday morning this past week. Hey, Craig, my 12-year-old son Parker has a classmate and friend, Daniel Gunnerson. 
was diagnosed with influenza during the week of January 14th. As a result, he developed a serious case of pneumonia, which admitted him to Children's Hospital. He's been heavily sedated for about 10 days, as well as been on a ventilator. He has been fighting so much sickness and infection, his kidneys have started to not function properly today. They have done dialysis today. As well, they check to see if any fungus is growing in his lungs. No results on the tissue samples taken from his lungs as of yet. Please send good thoughts and prayers to Daniel and his family. Also pray for the teachers at his school, as well as for his classmates. As they watch their student and friend fight so bravely and so valiantly for his life. I simply cannot imagine what his family is going through. Thanks, Charlie. So I encourage you today and this week to be praying for Daniel Gunnarsson and his family. At the same time, um, the story of Jairus and his family. Can you imagine what Jairus and his family is, is going through during this time? Well, let's move on. Inserted in between the story of Jairus in verses 21 through 24 and verse 38, um, right in the middle of those kind of two ends is that we read about something else that's going on. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him, went with Jairus. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. It's like everything that could go wrong goes wrong. She grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. One of the things I want to point out here, and you may want to make note of this, or perhaps talk in your community group, is that Mark, he, he, he uses a writer's technique that's called a sandwich. And this is referred to as a Markin sandwich. And I tried to joke with our community group leaders early this morning, roast beef sandwich, turkey sandwich, Markin sandwich. They didn't laugh, but I said it anyways. So anyways, Markin sandwich. And what we have here in verses 21 through 24, the story of Jairus. And then in verse 38, Mark comes back to the story of Jairus. So that kind of composes the, sort of the, the outer parts of the sandwich. In between that, right in the middle, is the story of this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, why would Mark use a literary technique like that, a sandwich? You know, A-B-A. Why would he do that? Well, one of the reasons why a writer does something like that is that he wants, to, he wants the audience to compare and contrast two similar stories. So I want to encourage you, perhaps today in your community groups or perhaps during the week, is to look at both these stories and, and note some of the similarities and the dissimilarities about these two stories because Mark, Mark wants to make a point about this, okay? One of the things I want to show, I'll point out here is what they have in common. They both are victim, victims of desperate circumstances. They both plead at Jesus' feet. Both are incurable by doctors. Both are afraid. Both, apart from Jesus, they, they have no hope. It's like everything that could go wrong goes wrong in the story of Jairus and his daughter and the story of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Yet, there's some things that both stories do not have in common. And you, can probably, you probably saw it when we read this. Her name is not given. It's not known. And she has no position in society like Jairus. 
Her only identification is her, her shame, a menstrual hemorrhage. Whereas Jairus approaches Jesus in public and face to face and invites him to come to his, his house, the woman approaches Jesus in secret and from behind. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's a worship leader. And, and, and this woman is, is unclean according to the Torah in Leviticus chapter 15. And because of that, she can't enter into a synagogue. She can't even go to church. Jairus, in the, in the, in the text here, is married. And she appears to be single or perhaps divorced, more likely, because of her bleeding. Jairus is wealthy. She is poor. Another purpose in using a sandwich is not only to compare and contrast, but also to highlight the middle story. The middle story. Mark wants us to look closely at this middle story. Despite her embarrassing condition, she pushes through the crowd, even past the disciples, hoping only, only to touch, to touch the back of Jesus' garment. And like Jairus, everything that could go wrong has for this woman's been, been suffering from this bleeding. In fact, when you get in the original text, you'll see it here on the slide behind me, in the original text in verse 26, is in the original language, Mark uses these, these Greek phrases as a way to emphasize. We don't see it in our English, but in the Greek, it, it, it reads like this, having a blood flow, having suffered much from many doctors, having exhausted all her wealth, having not improved but have, having gotten worse. You get the point? It's a very desperate situation. He's painting a sad picture of a worst-case scenario. A bleeding woman, slowly bleeding out not just her health, slowly bleeding out not just her life, slowly ble- bleeding out not just her resources, but slowly bleeding out all her hope. For years she had been tormented. For years she's been cast out. Cast out of society because she's rendered unclean. For 12 years, can you imagine something like that? 12 years, this woman has been sick, alone, rejected, and tormented with no human solution. Nobody could help her. She's left for dead. So the woman that encounters Jesus in Mark chapter 5 is at the end of her rope. Maybe in some way she has no rope left completely hopeless, and there seems to be no answer for her. And perhaps in this part of the story that you can relate to this, maybe you've reached the end of your rope, where everything seemingly could go wrong, goes wrong in your life. Perhaps you've reached the end of your rope on your finances. Your bills seem insurmountable. Everything that could go wrong, goes wrong. Or maybe it's your hope in raising a great family and, and wonderful children. And everything that could have gone wrong with one of your kids has gone wrong, and that dream is dashed. And you've reached the end of your rope. You, you, you've reached kind of a, a desperate circumstance in your life. Or maybe you developed a habit. It seemed innocent at first, but now you can't seem to shake it. And as a result, everything that could go wrong between you and your spouse has Everything that could have gone wrong with how you feel about yourself and how you feel about God has gone wrong and you've reached the end of your rope. Or maybe your dreams and your hopes for your life haven't turned out the way that you dreamt and planned years back. 
and you've wondered where God has been, like he's against you rather than being for you. Church and the Bible just don't make sense. And you've reached the end of your rope with God. But whether it's our problems with finances, our problems with relationships or destructive habits and so, the Bible tells us that's not the worst of it. The Bible tells us that the ultimate worst case scenario, everything that could have gone wrong with the human race and with life went wrong because of sin. And I just want to pause a moment and talk about sin. It's the ultimate worst case scenario. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, you'll see these verses behind me on the slide. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, Paul writes this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So you see, sin causes the worst case scenario for all of humanity, for me and you. Everything that could have gone wrong between us and God, everything that could have gone wrong with ourselves, our view of ourselves, everything that could have gone wrong between us and our neighbor, others, Everything that could have gone wrong between us and the created world has gone wrong, went wrong because of sin. Isaiah continues, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. The ultimate worst case scenario. And your sins have hidden his face from you. And John adds this, for the wages of sin is death. It's our rebellion. It's our sin against God that has made the ultimate worst-case scenario. And this reminds me of a mentor and friend in my life who shares this true story. They have friends who had a daughter named Shauna. And Shauna was a real strong-willed kid. Any of you ever been around a strong-willed kid? When Shauna was a little kid, four years old, one of the problems they had with her was that she would get on her trike and ride it where she was not allowed to ride it. Any parents have a problem like that in the past? Yeah. Her mom got so frustrated one day, she came out and said, all right, Shauna, look, here's a tree, and here's the edge of the driveway. You may drive your tricycle in between the tree and the driveway, but you can't go beyond that. If you do, I will spank you. I'm going back inside the house, but we have a big picture window. Very big. I will watch you, and if you don't obey, I will come out, and there will be a spanking. Well, Shauna was not intimidated by this. She backed up to her mother, four years old on her tricycle, backed up to her mother, stuck her little hip out, pointed it, and said, well, you better spank me now because I got places to go. I got places to go. How many of us, that's a summary of our life. We were in a desperate situation, just like the unnamed woman, just like Jairus. And that's our human heart, very much like a four-year-old, is where we've turned away from God. I have, you have. And just like these two stories in Mark chapter 5, our only hope is in the real Jesus. Our only hope is in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, let's read about how these two reached out for Jesus and and what occurred here. Mark chapter 5, verse 28. Back to the woman's story. It says in verse 28, 
uh, because she thought, if I just touch this close, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Can you imagine that for a moment? The first time, the first time in 12 years, freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. It's the only time that Jesus uses the term daughter in the entire Gospels. Daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace. Go in shalom and be freed from your suffering. And then we move over to Jairus' daughter in verses 41 through 42. He took her by the hand and said to her, I won't try the Aramaic there. I'll move to the English. Uh, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And as the, as, at this, they were completely astonished. Author and pastor Tim Keller says that there's a handful of reasons why people put their faith in Christ and respond to the gospel. And he says it's, it's the fear of judgment and death, or it's the desire to be released from guilt, or it's the attractiveness of truth, uh, or satisfy a personal longing, desire to be loved. Or what we see here in, math, in Mark chapter 5 is, is a help wanting help with a physical, spiritual, and an emotional problem. The hope of healing, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. And that's what attracts Jairus and this woman to the real Jesus, because Christ offers the only hope. He offers a help with a problem. You see, what looks like the end of the rope for Jairus and and, and this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, is never the end of the rope for God. It's in their hopelessness. It's when all their human hopes have been exhausted and depleted that Jesus meets them and he saves them and restores them. It is precisely because of their desperate condition that these characters experience the real presence and the real power of God. So there's always hope. Jesus is able. Jesus is able to heal a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He's able to bring a 12-year-old back to life. He's able to suffer on a cross and make what was once wrong right. And the Bible flatly claims that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power does not diminish. His strength has not abated. He's able to take a man trapped by drugs for decades and give him sobriety. I've seen it happen. He's able to take a marriage devastated by deception and betrayal and hurt and put it back together. I've seen it happen. He's able to come alongside a teenager overwhelmed with self-hatred and depression and give her hope and joy. He is able to heal brokenness. He is able to reconcile relationships. He's able to provide wisdom. He is able to breathe hope into our lives. He is able to take everything that has gone wrong and make it right. Well, last summer I was preaching through the book of Daniel. Uh, Chad was on sabbatical. And in, during the month of July, as I was preaching through the uh, Old Testament book of Daniel, um, on one of the Sunday mornings in July, I got here early at the church to kind of um, pray over my sermon and, and, and kind of polish it up. 
And uh, the phone rang, and I was the only one in the church. And typically when I'm doing kind of sermon prep, I kind of block everything out and try to be really focused. Uh, but I could hear the phone ringing, and there's nobody in the, uh, in the church office to answer it. So I picked up the phone. And the voice in the other line was desperate. Um, she had gone through uh, a terrible divorce. Um, she was homeless. And she shared that she attended Maple Grove Covenant Church some years in the past, but she had gotten to the end of her rope. And would our church help her? And I said, well, come to our, our worship service at uh, 10 o'clock. And uh, after the service, let's just get a few, you know, a few of us together, and we'll try to figure this out. And, um, and she came to church that morning. And this morning, she's going to share her story. So I'd like to invite Janelle Holtley to come up, come up here, and I'm going to ask some questions with Janelle. Let's give her a hand. Good morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's just kind of go back to that kind of hot July morning, and you called, and and you were at a very desperate situation, as you shared the, the end of your rope, and and we're just crying out for God and looking for uh, our church to respond in some way. Uh, help us understand what had gotten you to that point. What occurred? Do you have an hour? <laughs> um, I had been married for 13 years. And one Thanksgiving weekend in 2004, my now ex-husband decided to spring on me that he had been having an affair. And it had been going on for a few months. I had absolutely no idea. And my first thought was, um, I'm walking away from this marriage. I, I can't be with this person. And after a couple of days of thinking, I had a change of heart. And um, I didn't want my sons to come from a broken home. So I ended up actually staying with him for another four years. But... During that time period, it was uh, turmoil. Six months after he had told me about it, I went into deep depression. I lost my very thriving real estate business. Um, I became very self-destructive. I started drinking. I was just falling into a pit of despair. Um, I didn't know what to do. I'd gone to a divorce attorney three different times in that time period and was just really struggling with what I should do in the situation. And I finally did file for divorce in 08. Um, and that next spring, um, after our divorce, the home my sons and I were living in went into foreclosure. And we had almost a year to live in that, which was uh, a blessing. But um, we ended up moving out of there. I was still drinking. I also ended up losing my cabin, financial reasons, my financial support. And... Um, Nothing seemed to be turning around or getting better. And I just continued on with depression. I didn't work for almost three years. And just all the, all the losses I was enduring, I was just trying to figure everything out with my life. And uh, I just I fell into a very deep pit of um, low self-worth, no self-love. And um, I started getting DUIs. I got three within two and a half years. And it was last May when I hit rock bottom. I got a third DUI. And I ended up in uh, jail and spent 45 days living there. Um, but I, I knew the whole time that God was still with me. 
and working in my life. I actually had started an evening um, prayer group with the women before before we'd go to bed at night and helped a couple women through prayer come to Christ. And it was just um, many years of turmoil, and um, it was a hard time. Mm-hmm. It was a hard time. I got out of jail, and I think, and I still don't know why, but my, my family turned their back on me. They had been through so much. I don't, I don't think they could bear to try and help me any longer. And I went to stay with a friend up in Rogers where my youngest son was staying at the time. And we, um, I stayed there with him for 10 days. And at the end of that, when it was time to move on, I, I didn't have a car. I didn't have money. I didn't have a home. I didn't have anything, basically, except the shirt on my back. And I helped my sons move up to St. Cloud to just let them start a new life and um, kind of heal from everything that had happened. So um, after that 10 days, they thought I was going to stay with a friend. I ended up on the streets in Osseo, and I had no place to to go, and I just was taking one moment at a time, just reaching out, crying out to God. Um, and that Sunday morning is uh, just a blessing in itself that he happened to answer the phone um, just a minute before I had called here, I had called one of my siblings who lived within a mile of where I was and told him where I was and, and didn't have any place, and he turned me away. And um, I can just still think back to when I was on the road driving after having drank on May. It was Mother's Day weekend, actually. And um, I just I was at such a low point. The truck's coming toward me. I just thought, how easy would that be just to turn my wheel and get through everything and just be done with it. But that's when I called here, and that's when you answered the phone. And then you came to that that Sunday morning service that we had, and and, uh, tell us what occurred after that as you cried out for God and God responding through uh, the Maple Grove Covenant Church body. Uh, What what happened after that? Well, um, Dave Thielman was a big part and had a big hand and heart in all of that. He, um, along with... Pastor Craig sat and talked with me for a while, and um, they just, through Christ's hand, reached out to me to help me in whatever way they could. Dave brought me to McDonald's and got me something to eat. I was probably pretty dirty and stinky and hadn't showered for quite a while. Um, But they really just opened their hearts to help me, put me up in a hotel that night, and uh, we were trying to just figure out what, really what they were going to do with me. but Dave helped me with a lot of that, and um, it was Tuesday night. I had uh, gotten a call. I was hanging out at the Maple Grove Community Center, and um, uh, he said that there was a family in the church that wanted to open their home to me, and um, he said, you know Bill and Nancy Hayes? And I said, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I taught Awana with them for almost 10 years. And he said, how would you feel about going and staying with them for a while? And I said pick me up. (laughs) Um, So Bill came in and got me, and um, they're my earthly angels. I I lived with them for almost three months, and um, I I knew the whole time through through all of this, God was working in my life, and I I never gave up hope. I I hit points where I I didn't know what was going to happen with me, but I knew he had a plan for me, and I just had to be patient, as hard as that was sometimes. 
So I lived with Bill and Nancy for almost three months. Um, it's the first time in my life I've ever understood grace. And they fed me and gave me a warm bed and showed me un unconditional love. So between, you know, the few of the people here and Nancy and Bill, um, and of course God had orchestrated all of this. None of it would have been possible if, if he hadn't been in my life. Mm -hmm. So how are you doing today? Today is a great day. <laughs> Um, I'm sober. I went through uh, outpatient treatment for chemical dependency mm -hmm. this last uh, Mose, October, November, uh, September, October. And um, I'm living in a room I've rented in Maple Grove. I just got a vehicle in November. I have a limited license, but um, it's wheels, so I'm thankful for that. And I'm just trying to learn um, how to start over at the age of 50. My boys are grown and gone. I basically everything that happened snowballed, and I became an empty nester without a nest. Um, <laughs> when they moved away, and that was probably the hardest thing for me was them them moving. Um, but they needed healing too, so uh, we have a good connection, good relationship. But I, I'm doing great. I attend AA. My sponsor actually is here with me today. Um, continue to pray and. Um, I know that God has a plan for my life, and I know a big part of that is a, min a women's ministry and helping other people with life, basically. I've, uh, I lived these past months um, thinking about Philippians 4.13. All things are possible through Christ who gives me strength, and he's the only reason I'm here. Yeah, you're an example of that. Thanks so much for sharing this morning. Yeah. Let's give Janelle a hand. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Janelle, for your courage. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come down the aisles, and they're going to pass out little pieces of rope. And I just want to uh, have us uh, consider that you might be here, and as you hear Janelle's story, or perhaps as you're reflecting on Mark chapter 5, is, is that perhaps you're here and that you've reached the end of your rope. Um, and you've come to a situation in your life or maybe it's not your life, maybe it's a family member's, and you're just kind of thinking of them right now, that, um, you know, that uh, they need to begin a relationship with God, or you need to begin a relationship with God. That peace with God can't be earned with higher accomplishments. It can't be earned with a more toned, attractive body, um, a stronger will. But you need God to do it. Only God can save you and heal you from sin that... Uh, what sin has done and is doing to your soul. And in many ways, the story I shared about the four-year-old on, on the trike has been you, where you've essentially with your life looked up at God and lived in such a way by saying, you better spank me now because I have places to go. And that might be your life. And you haven't taken the step to receive Christ, to um, allow him to come into your life. And you're still clutching on to that end of your rope and trying to do life on your own. Or you might be here and you've reached the end of your rope. You're a follower of Christ, but you've reached the end of, end of your rope with school or marriage or your business or your family or your choices, and you're clutching on. You're clutching onto it. And you have this anxiety. And, and you feel like, if I could just put more effort, if I can put my shoulder into this uh, more, but you've realized you can't. And that you desperately need God. 
I want you to kind of think about that rope that's in your hand and, and name it. And simply say to God, God, I'm going to release this rope. For too long, I've been trying to, to do it on my own. I need you uh, to help me. I need you to guide me in uh, whatever topic relates to you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can provide you with his healing power and with his strength. Or you might be here this morning, and as you've heard Janelle's story, is that you're a person who has resources. You're a person who has something to offer. You you have a desire to help people who are in need. And I would encourage you to pray about how you can respond. Maybe it's our mentoring ministry. Maybe it's, it's our local outreach ministry. Um, whatever it is, perhaps you're a person that, as you heard about the response of some people in our church community, um, you're like, that's me. And, and you have a part to play. Uh, you have a part to play for someone who's hanging on to the end of the rope. And begin to ask God. And perhaps you, you have this rope in your car. You begin to pray and say, God, for people that are out there that are at the end of the rope and they're in desperate conditions, please Use me to make a difference. Use me. Use my generosity. Use my time. Use my efforts. Do whatever you need to do um, to make a difference in the lives of the people. Because as you heard Janelle's story, just the response of this church community, that this is the kind of place that people respond and want to help with needs. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to close this in prayer. And I just want to encourage you to Hang on to that rope in your hands. And if you're a person that wants to take the step to believe Jesus Christ in your life, I'm going to pray a prayer and encourage you to pray it with me. Or if you're a person where you're a believer in Christ, but, but you've been hanging on to something for too long and you just can't figure it out and it's just having an effect, whether it's relationships or finances, whatever it is, have that rope in your hands and pray with me. Let's pray. Please bow your heads. If you're here and you want to begin a relationship with Christ, take that piece of rope and pray with me. God, I confess my sin. I know I need to be forgiven. I've reached the end of my rope, and I want to surrender my life to Christ. So in my heart, I kneel at the cross and ask Jesus, the real Jesus, into my life. I invite Christ to come into my life as my forgiver, as my friend, and as the leader of my life. Or maybe you're here and you're a follower of Christ and you're at the end of your rope at work or family or a sick loved one or your own health, your kids. Whatever that rope represents, pray with me. God, I confess I've reached the end of my rope and I need you. I reach out just like this woman in Mark chapter 5. I reach out to you. I need you to lead me and guide me. Heal my brokenness. Heal my relationships. I give this rope to you and ask that you empower me through the work of the Holy Spirit. Give me wisdom. Help me to make better choices. Breathe hope into my life. You are the ultimate hope. You have power over disease, over brokenness and evil, over even death itself. Take what seems to have gone wrong and make it right. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.